What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike. Today, we are talking 80s movies. It's a genre I often overlook, but there are so many essential 80s movies. I wanted to dedicate an entire episode to pick some of my favorites. In the movie review, we'll talk about a new A24 film starring Pete Davidson called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. It's being described as a Gen Z slasher, so I'll give you my thoughts on that. And in the trailer park, we'll keep it in the A24 film productions, and we'll talk about a new movie that just came out called Funny Pages that I can't wait to see because it looks very nostalgic. So that is what we have coming up on this week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for being subscribed. Shout out to the Monday Morning Movie Crew. And now, let's talk movies. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I was asked recently, what are some of your favorite 80s movies? And I think unfairly... I overlook the 80s when it comes to film. I think I tend to associate them with very cheesy rom-coms or teen movies. That is just kind of what I think about when I think about 80s movies. But when I really sat down to study the decade, I realized there are so many essential films. And I think it was such a pivotal time in movies that, that the decade doesn't get the credit that it deserves. Just the decade before in the 70s, we had our first summer blockbuster with movies like Jaws. We were coming off Star Wars. So a lot of big movies were starting to happen. And I think the 80s is what really cemented that when you look back on some of the biggest movies. So I decided to put together a list of my top 10 80s movies. And I had to go very personal on these. It would be easy just to pick all the big 80s classics, and I'll kind of get to those in the honorable mentions. 
But my reasoning behind these are movies I watched as a kid or maybe discovered later as an adult and movies I also feel have big contributions when it comes to film history. And a lot of these movies, I just in my head didn't really place them in the 80s. So when I was asked about my favorite 80s movies, I should have included more of these on my list. So now I have my definite list. But let's kick it off with number 10. I'm going with from 1985, The Breakfast Club from director John Hughes, who John Hughes directed so many movies in the 80s, so many essential 80s movies, and he went on to write even countless more iconic movies. But in the 80s, not only did he do Breakfast Club, he also did 16 Candles, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, and Uncle Buck. And if I had to just associate a director with the 80s, I'd go with John Hughes. His movies had what really shaped the best 80s teen movies in that decade. Now, The Breakfast Club had a budget of just $1 million when it came out in 1985, and it went on to make $51 million at the box office. And it is the quintessential coming-of-age comedy. If you haven't seen The Breakfast Club, it's about five students from five different walks of life, and they all have to go to an all-day detention on a Saturday at a high school in 1984. The group has the princess, the rebel, the outcast, the brainy dude, and the jock. And you get to learn about each of their story, how they are intertwined. And by the end of the movie, maybe you have a little bit of a different perspective on knowing where everybody comes from. So many iconic scenes and iconic lines. I have to put The Breakfast Club from 1985 at number 10. At number 9... One of my favorite Disney live action movies, I'm going with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids from director Joe Johnson. The movie cost $18 million to make, but went on to make $227 million in the United States. Rick Moranis is a great comedic actor, and I really loved every installment in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids franchise, but this, without a doubt, is the best one. You have him playing Wayne Zielinski, who is this inventor, maybe a little bit of a mad scientist, trying to invent this shrinking ray, and he thinks he has it, he thinks this is going to change his life, and can't really quite get it to work, and he thinks... He's wasted his entire existence. He is a detriment to his family. But then comes to find out the machine actually works and he shrunk his kids. He destroys the machine and throws out the kids in the trash. And then they have to go from out on the curb in the trash and make it all the way back into the house. This is one of my favorite family adventure movies. And I think it's because of all the things they have to encounter getting back into the house. And this is a movie that I felt really played into kids' imagination. As a kid, that's kind of where my mind went to. Like, what would happen if I was really small? How would things kind of be from that perspective? And that is what this movie did. And I love the 80s feel in this movie from the wardrobe. You have the neighbors and the way they battle against each other. It just has that 80s American feel to it. But what this movie really captured through the use of real life animatronics is it had a very practical feel to it. The director of this movie wanted the characters to interact with some of the things going on to give that more authentic feel. So that's another thing I really loved about the 80s. They didn't really have that CGI technology yet. They couldn't just green screen everything in. They had to create real robots like the ant in this movie and do things through practical effects or camera positionings, do some forced perspective. But a lot of that just feels a little bit more authentic, feels a little bit more warm to me. 
And this is also a movie I try to revisit pretty frequently, especially now that it is on Disney+. Plus. So if you haven't seen this movie in a very long time, or if you have kids and haven't exposed them to this movie yet, let them watch it and see if they enjoy it too, or if they just think it looks really outdated. That would crush me a little bit, but I think everybody deserves to see Honey, I Shrunk the Kids at least once. So at number nine from 1989, I'm going with this one. At number eight, speaking of action adventure from the 80s, I'm going with The Goonies from 1985, directed by Richard Donner. The movie cost 19 million dollars to make and went on to make 125 million dollars at the u.s box office this movie has my favorite group of kids in any movie not only do you have such great actors like sean astin josh brolin Corey feldman jeff cohen Carrie Green, Martha Plimpton, one of the iconic actresses from the 80s. And you have all those actors, but each one plays such a great character. And that's what really makes this movie. They are all just so well defined and have their own individual roles and personalities. And as a kid, when you watch this movie, you kind of put yourself in the position of which one you would be. And not just because my name is Mike, but I greatly identified with Mikey in this movie. But I love that it is a story about a group of young misfits. And growing up, I think we all kind of feel a little bit like outcasts. We feel like we're not the coolest or the most popular. And that is what the Goonies set out to represent. That group of misfits, that group of kids who never really fit in anywhere, but can do crazy, amazing things with the power of friendship. So they call themselves the Goonies. They discover this ancient map and set out on an adventure to find the legendary pirate's lost treasure. And I think if you were making a list of the most iconic characters from the 80s, it wouldn't be complete without Chunk and the Truffle Shuffle. Probably couldn't make that scene today. I think it would be a little bit too offensive. But growing up as a chunky kid, I felt that. So at number eight, I'm going with 1985's The Goonies. At number seven, we're getting to our first R-rated movie on the list. Maybe could have even had a more hardcore rating. But I'm going with 1983's Scarface. The most twisted version of the American dream that has ever been created you have Al Pacino as the one and only Scarface. And just talking about iconic 80s characters, he would easily be in the top five most recognizable lines, most recognizable look. And this is a movie that I didn't really associate with the 80s. It's my favorite Al Pacino movie, and it kind of transcends that decade to me. So while I was thinking about all these different movies from the 80s, I was pleasantly reminded when I realized this movie was made and put out in 1983, had a budget of $25 million, and went on to make $66 million in the United States. If you haven't seen Scarface, it is the story of Tony Montana and the drug trade in Miami in the 80s. He comes to the United States looking for the American dream, and for him, that is murdering anybody who kind of stands in his way. And he eventually becomes the biggest drug lord in Florida as he controls nearly all the cocaine coming in from Miami. I love the struggle in this movie and Scarface going from being kind of a nobody at the very bottom of the ranks and then being at the ultimate position of power. And it's a story about how power affects you when you get that. I guess you would call him successful even though he is a drug lord. As you get that successful and reach that higher point, how even once you achieve your dream, it's still not be what you set out to be. It's still much more complicated and a lot more problems that you weren't expecting. But overall, this is just a fun, brutal movie. 
Al Pacino and Michelle Pfeiffer in the same film is just 80s perfection. The iconic imagery of him in the Tommy gun or him in the pile of white powder on his desk are some of my favorite visuals ever in an action movie. And also it's one of my favorite longer movies at almost three hours long. It was on the double VHS back in the day and just proves when you make something so compelling, nobody really remembers the runtime. So also a win for longer films. And that is why I put Scarface at number seven on my list of 80s movies. Moving on now to number six from 1987, a movie I just love and maybe not a whole lot of people have heard of or let alone seen, but I'm going with Born in East L.A. starring Cheech Marine, directed by Cheech Marine, his directorial debut. A really low budget comedy, but went on to make $17 million at the box office. But beyond the numbers, beyond maybe this not being one of the most recognizable films of the 80s, this movie was very important for me. It's about his character, named Rudy, who plays an L.A.-born American who is mistaken for a Mexican illegal immigrant and deported to Mexico. And then the entire movie is him trying to do everything he can to get across the border and get back home. So he takes on all these odd jobs in Mexico. He's also having to fit in because he's more American than he is Mexican, hardly even speaks Spanish. So the whole idea of him being in Mexico is bizarre to him, even though he is Mexican-American. This is a movie that my family and I would sit down and watch together. And it really brought us all together because there aren't a whole lot of movies, especially comedies, that are put out in America that represent Mexican-Americans. It was one of the first films that really did that for me. And although it is a comedic approach to the situation, the movie is still really relevant to today's world. It pokes fun at a lot of the things and doesn't take itself too seriously. But at the core of the movie, it does show some of the struggles that Mexican Americans face when it comes to discrimination. So I always kind of latched on to that theme of this movie, even though it is a pretty ridiculous and fun movie, it can still say something. And I did find there was a brief period in the 80s where movies were getting made like this, geared towards telling Mexican-American stories. I almost put another movie on this list, Stand and Deliver, which is another one of my favorites. And that movie came out in 1988. So I feel like there were a lot of these movies made in the 80s, speaking with Latino voices. And I would quite honestly like to see more of them. And here's just one of my favorite scenes from the movie, whenever he is going to pick up his cousin from the factory and the factory gets raided and they find him hiding inside of a giant teddy bear. So that is kind of the scope of the comedy in this movie. Can you scratch there, Huh? Well, it's a green card. I don't got a green card, man. Where were you born? I was born in East L.A., man. You were born in East L.A., huh? And who's the president of the United States? That, 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 that cowboy guy on TV. Uh, the guy was on Death Valley Days. Um, I was uh, John Wayne. Get him out of here. So at number six from 1987, let's go with Born in East L.A. Made it to the top five now, going all the way back to 1980, kicking off the decade with The Empire Strikes Back. That's what I'm putting at number five. Quite possibly the best sequel ever made. And even though A New Hope is my favorite Star Wars movie, this is such a strong follow-up. It has some of the most iconic Star Wars imagery ever. Like this is the movie that you kind of associate all the big moments with Star Wars. 
the movie was directed by Erwin Kirshner, who had never directed a blockbuster before. It cost $18 million, but went on to make over half a billion. And I found a clip of the director, Erwin Kirshner, talking about the struggles taking on his first blockbuster and how complicated the balance between sci-fi and comedy and love is while making this movie. I felt I needed humor in the picture, and yet I couldn't have gags. I felt I needed a love story, and yet I couldn't have a lot of smooching and kissing and all that stuff, and it had to all be more implied. I knew I needed something powerful going on inside Luke's soul. And he really carries the picture, of course. And hearing him talk about that, I realized he completely set out and accomplished what he was trying to do, because I think that is what makes The Empire Strikes Back so great. It's also funny, but doesn't try to be a straight on comedy. There's a very delicate balance that a Star Wars movie has to go through even so early on to be that perfect balance and blend of everything to not appear cheesy, to be taken seriously by audiences. And I feel like that is exactly what this movie captures. I think the love story and the comedy is perfectly detailed in this scene with Han Solo and Princess Leia. I love you. Like that's it. That is Star Wars Empire Strikes Back in a clip. And you also have in this movie Luke training with Yoda. Luke Skywalker really being the one who carries this entire movie. And then of course the most iconic scene in Star Wars history. Luke Skywalker's fight with Darth Vader. And one of the most famous movie quotes of all time. If you only knew the power of the dark side. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No! Could you imagine the audience reaction if that scene happened in 2022 for the first time? We see people flipping out at Marvel movies, yelling at the screen, throwing their popcorn, doing backflips in the chairs. Could you imagine if that was recaptured now no probably not because people just hate on star wars for any reason they get and can't let anything new happen because of this affinity we have with the original trilogy but if we let ourselves open our minds to recreating some of these iconic moments and allowing things to be new and fun we could have that again but we probably won't so we'll go back to 1980s the empire strikes back at number five at number four was just speaking about Mexican-American voices, and it wouldn't be an 80s list without one of my favorite movies of all time. At number four, I'm going with La Bamba from 1987, directed by Luis Valdez. Movie cost only $6.5 million to make, and went on to earn $54.2 million at the U.S. box office. La Bamba is the story of Richie Valens and his rise to fame which happened so quickly and he was also taken from us just as quickly as his star started to rise. But at the core of this movie, it is a story about two brothers, Richie Valens and his brother Bob, and how one of them has always been kind of the poster child of the family, the one everybody believes in, the one everybody invests in and knows that will go on to do great things. And then you have Bob as kind of the black sheep of the family who's made some bad choices, made some bad mistakes. 
and resents his other brother for that and resents his brother when he does become successful and is able to take their family from an impoverished living situation and help them achieve the American dream. And speaking of, you know, Latino and Mexican-American voices in film, I think this is one of the best to do it because it shows somebody who was born in the United States, but because of their last name gets associated with being Mexican, even though Richie Valens didn't speak Spanish and everybody kind of assumed he did just by the way he looked and his last name. And he took that and covered La Bamba and made it a rock and roll hit. And why I love the representation of Latinos in this movie and really every movie in the 80s, I felt like it really captured our culture in the most honest way. Because you do have Mexican-American directors at the forefront of these films, it felt very authentic to me and still does. Sometimes when I see Mexican-American characters portrayed on screen, it's told through the eyes of maybe somebody who didn't grow up that way and doesn't get everything completely down. Sometimes has to overemphasize things like use certain Spanish phrases or Spanish words or small Spanish characteristics of our culture that doesn't really feel as authentic as it should. So I think when I go back to some of my favorite films, it's always back to the 80s. They just really had it down in this decade. So that is why I look back to movies like La Bamba, Born in East L.A., and Stand and Deliver. And this movie will continue to be one of my favorites. And I'm sorry, I think I've probably met my quota of talking about this movie for this year. But at number four, I'm going with La Bamba from 1987. We'll move now to the top three. At number three, I'm going with Batman from 1989, directed by Tim Burton, a box office success, making $411 million from a $48 million budget, which is a pretty pricey movie, especially for one in the 80s. I think this is one of the most important superhero films, and I'll tell you why. We did have the Superman movies from 78 through the early 80s, but I think this is the one that showed that superhero movies could be a little bit grittier. And I think that's because of the character that is Batman. The storyline was a little darker. There was more violence. You have Jack Nicholson as the Joker, who is really responsible for making, playing the Joker, the role that it is today. That he was one of the first ones to realize what a toll it is to really take on this character to play the psychopath and how much that can really affect you when you have to live in that day after day while filming this movie. And then you have Michael Keaton, who is my favorite Batman. I just love the world that Tim Burton created in Batman and in the sequel, Batman Returns. It felt very true to the comic books and the movie had such great imagery. The movie memory that I created after watching this movie was as Batman is flying towards the Joker, he pulls out this ridiculously long gun and fires it. And I think that's what made this movie great was all of the gadgets. Like that's what Batman is known for. And that is where this movie really comes through. So at number three, I'm going with 1989's Batman. At number two from 1984, I'm going with A Nightmare on Elm Street from director Wes Craven. The movie cost $1.8 million to make, which at the time was a very large amount to spend on a small horror production. This movie set the standard for horror movies in the 80s, but really in the genre since then. There is so much 
iconic imagery from this movie from Freddy Krueger's knife-wielding hand ascending from the bathtub bubbles while Nancy is in there drifting off into sleep. Freddy Krueger on fire on the bed has one of the most brutal openings to a horror movie that immediately killed off a character which was such a big shock and a tactic now used in horror movies to stun audiences right from the beginning. I love one of the first times you see Freddy Krueger walking down the alley and his arms expand. Even though it looks a little bit fake and a little bit cheesy, it's still pretty horrifying. But without a doubt, the best scene in the entire movie is when Johnny Depp dies and all the blood comes flowing from the bed. And that also goes back to the use of practical effects and director Wes Craven's vision to show audiences something they've never seen before. And the design of that effect was pretty cool to see the behind the scenes of that, of them actually dumping all that red liquid, creating all these electrical shortages and putting essentially everybody's life in danger on the set of that movie. But they got the shot. A movie I try to rewatch every Halloween and I think it still holds up. And at the time when this came out in the 80s, I loved all of the posters, all of the TV spots for this. I go back and watch those on YouTube from time to time. And the reason why this movie just had a lasting effect and made so many waves when it came out is because of that idea of us not being safe in our sleep. And that is really where this horror movie goes on an entirely different level to think there are movies that came out, you would watch them and it would affect your real life. You would struggle going to sleep that night at fears that Freddy Krueger would invade your dreams. That is the power of a great movie and a great 80s movie. So at number two, I am going with A Nightmare on Elm Street. Before I get to my number one movie from the 80s, there are so many honorable mentions. The 80s are such a huge decade. I could probably do several different episodes dedicated to them but movies that almost made my list and some that you sent in on facebook twitter and instagram were beetlejuice from 1988 this is spinal tap from 1984 which is one of my favorite comedies the terminator ghostbusters robocop the shining die hard dirty dancing footloose bill and ted's ferris bueller's day off beverly hills cop which eddie murphy had an incredible run at the box office in the 80s, one of the biggest stars in all of Hollywood during that time. Full Metal Jacket, which is one of my favorite movies. You also had some other great horror movies like The Evil Dead. I was never the biggest Indiana Jones fan, but Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981. The Outsiders, big. We didn't even get into any Tom Hanks movies on this list, who also had a great run in the 80s. The Karate Kid, Airplane. Some people said The Little Mermaid, which came out in 1989. I still think this wasn't that great a decade for the 80s Disney movies. They were still in that Xerox era where everything kind of looked photocopied over the top from Sylvester Stallone. Top Gun, I may have said that one already. And the movie I couldn't quite put on my list that people will rip me up for was E.T. from 1982. I love that movie. I think it is an important and iconic movie. But when it comes to my favorites from the decade... I never really had that emotional attachment to E.T. I think that was one I needed to experience earlier on. I was born in 91, so that movie felt really old to me, which is weird for me to say. But the one that did make my list was a movie that came out three years after E.T. from 1985, and it is Back to the Future, directed by Robert Zemeckis, who also did Forrest Gump, who framed Roger Rabbit, 
and did the entire Back to the Future trilogy, actually, from parts one to part three. The movie cost $19 million to make and went on to make $388 million at the U.S. box office. And even though I discovered this movie much later in life, this is truly a movie that defies the 80s. I think it is timeless, even though it is dealing with predicting the future and a date that we've already passed, which is weird to think about. But I just think it has all the best elements of what makes a great movie, of what makes something spectacular to watch. It has comedy, it has action, it has a love story, and it has that sci-fi. So we just talked about last week of movies I would recommend to somebody just coming out of a 10-year coma. This is a movie in that same kind of vein that I would recommend to somebody who has never seen a movie before. Say an alien just dropped into Earth and you're trying to explain to them what a movie is. I think this is the movie I would show them because it has all of those elements. And it is a movie that I struggle with it ever being remade because I selfishly would like to see how much this story would benefit from having the technology that we have today. And I know as much as we hate having movies rebooted that we know and love and think they don't need to be touched because they are perfect, I think if I had to pick one and was able to handpick the director and handpick the movie studio that would go on to make the remake, I would want to see a new Back to the Future. Well, maybe that's just me, but those are my top 10 80s movies. If you have more that you want to submit to the conversation, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Mike Distro shoot me an email, moviemikeD at gmail.com. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Let's get into a movie review now. I want to talk about Bodies, 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 which is a horror comedy movie from A24. It follows a group of rich 20-somethings who throw this elaborate and somewhat odd hurricane party. 
at one of their mansions and they play this game called bodies 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 where one person is assigned the killer and everybody else has to figure it out but then some people start getting murdered and they try to figure out who the real killer is outside of this game so before i get into what i think about this movie here's just a little bit of the bodies 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 trailer who wants to play bodies 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 guys i get so stressed out every time we play this someone always ends up crying so how do you play if you draw the piece of paper that has the x on it you are the murderer our friend is dead so if you could just like not escalate the situation that i'm not escalating you're holding the knife and you're moving your hands while you talk so this movie has a cast of a lot of fresh new faces which i found pretty refreshing the most recognizable face though you have is pete davidson he is one of the rich kids in this movie so where the story starts is you find one of the characters who has a new girlfriend and she is introducing her to all of her new friends who are all these rich 20 year olds and they're all getting together at one of their parents' mansions where they're going to drink and take drugs as they await this hurricane that is about to hit. So one night where they're all partying, they decide to play this game called Bodies, 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 where everybody draws a card. And on one of those cards marks that that person is assigned to be the killer and they all have to figure out who the killer is. They turn the lights off. That killer taps one of them. And that person is now dead in the game. And they keep trying to guess and make all these kind of accusations and reasonings of who they think the killer is. While the killer is trying not to be revealed and be able to take out as many people as possible. So that's the game they're playing called Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. But then one of them actually dies. So suddenly it gets very serious as they realize there is a killer among them. So what the movie is really about is how well do you know your friends? How well do you know the people you hang out with? And what happens when you start accusing them of killing people? So it goes from them trying to find out who done it in the fictional game to them throughout the entire movie, really trying to find the killer. So it is a fun modern twist on that whodunit genre. And I do think this is a pretty important film. And even though I didn't love it, but I did enjoy it, I felt this movie was very fresh and entertaining. It is the first real Gen Z slasher I have seen. And it was a little bit more horror slasher than I was expecting. I was kind of expecting a full on comedy. It kind of felt like the movie Spring Breakers meets like a scream. I guess I was just expecting a little bit more ha ha comedy. And it was a little bit more of a clever satire on the genre and also poking fun at rich kids. But I think the thing I really enjoyed about the movie is it was very well written. I love the dialogue in this movie, how it really tried to capture what people in their early 20s are like right now. So I think this will later be looked at as one of the most quintessential Gen Z movies made. I think for my generation, for millennials, I kind of felt represented this way back in 2014 with a movie called Unfriended, which is also a horror movie. I felt like that really kind of came out at a time when I was going through the things that the characters were in that movie. That movie took place entirely over Skype. So the technology was very set in that 
period of time that I haven't really seen a movie really capture that since. And even though Unfriended isn't the best movie ever, I just go back and watch that movie a lot because it reminds me of that time. So I do think that Bodies will be that for people probably here in another eight or 10 years. And why I do think that dialogue is so important because it is so easy to make a bad horror movie and where horror movies really kind of get it wrong or really kind of miss out on is that dialogue of really creating a story and creating something believable, which I think Bodies did do really well. Because it's not enough just to rely on the horror elements, to rely on the kills, to create a great horror movie. Because there's a very kind of delicate balance when it comes to that. If it's just killing all the time, it loses all of its appeal. It loses all of its dramatic effect. But if there's not enough of it, it just becomes kind of boring. So where you really need to kind of focus on in a horror movie is creating great dialogue, creating memorable lines, creating funny moments. In this movie, it is pretty subtle. But even if you stripped out all of the kind of shocking jump scares out of this movie, I still think it's just a great written comedy. And the other thing that this movie does pretty well is that it does keep you guessing along. So the entertaining part of this 90 minute movie is that you'll find yourself guessing all the way through. I think I changed who I thought the killer was two or three times and it's very rare that a movie keeps me guessing till the end, but this movie really did that. And something else I kind of found funny, I know it was kind of a satire, but it did poke fun at Gen Z lingo and just Gen Z interactions. And that is the first time I've seen that done in a movie before. As a millennial, I feel like we've been getting a lot of heat lately as now we are seen as the older uncool generation. I'm not sure when that happened. I felt like as millennials, we had a really short time to one, be just criticized by the generation that came right before us, the people calling us entitled. And I felt like for that reason, we never got to make fun of anybody. We got it so quickly of being hated on. And as soon as we got to the point that we could make fun of the older generation, the younger generation started taking stabs at us for being cringy. And I think this movie showed me that their time will come too. It's just weird us creating all these barriers like we're so different as generations. We're really all the same. We just say words differently. So so what I'm just saying is we shouldn't scrutinize people based on what decade they were born in. And it took me watching this movie to be a reminder of that. And I think when it comes to recommending this movie, I think it is skewed towards the younger generation. And I'm cool with that. I think that is who this movie was made for. I think it's supposed to be this generation's scream and a new take on horror, which I'm all for. I'm all for keeping this genre as fresh as it can be. So if you're just a fan of slasher movies, if you're a fan of some dark and twisted humor, I think you will enjoy it too. But I don't think it's the movie for you if you're wanting to watch something that'll make you laugh out loud continuously and you won't really be moved by some of the horror and violence in this it's pretty subtle it's pretty straight to the point but i still think overall it is a pretty entertaining movie and i found myself still thinking about it days after i watched it and that's all i'll say about that but if i had to rate bodies 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 i would give it 3.5 out of five rich kids This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. 
Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. I want to talk about a movie called Funny Pages. It just came out in very select theaters this past Friday and is available now to rent on Amazon. You can watch it at home for seven bucks. But it is a movie that you could have convinced me came out back in the 90s and I just missed it. This is one of the trailers that came on before I went to go see Emily the Criminal. And it looked and felt so nostalgic. I immediately thought to myself, I have to watch this movie when it comes out. And I wanted to share it in the trailer park first before I even get a chance to watch and review it, because maybe we could experience this movie together. But what the movie is about, it follows the story of this kid named Robert, who is a high school student and aspiring cartoonist. He is living in the suburbs, and his parents want him to go to school and go on to be something, but he decides to drop out of school, leaves home, moves into a place with a really weird living situation, and then finds this guy who used to work as a comic artist and kind of wants him to take him under his wing so he can also achieve his dream of being a comic book artist. It's said to be a really twisted coming of age story. Here is just a little bit of the Funny Pages trailer. Uh, Robert, meet our friend Wallace. So it says here you worked for a company called Image. Years ago. Image Comics? I wasn't an artist. Nobody get all excited. What would it take for a drawing lesson? Honestly, you consider yourself a cartoonist, right? I pay you. How much? This is really crazy for me. I've just never met a professional cartoonist before. That's a big deal. I know. So while watching this trailer, I felt a way I haven't felt since the 90s. If you ever remember putting in a VHS and having to watch all of the trailers leading up to the movie you were going to watch. This is how I felt watching the Funny Pages trailer. It had that feel to it from visually looking like it was being played from a VHS, kind of this low-budget, 90s-quality filming style. You almost have to convince me a little bit that this movie came out now in 2022. I also love that there are no big recognizable faces in the trailer or in the entire cast. But not only that, is everybody looks pretty ordinary. And I feel like that provides a level of authenticity 
that you don't really get in movies anymore. When you're telling a story like this and the characters look real, they look like people you would encounter at the grocery store or encounter living in your apartment complex. That is what I want to see. So above all, I'm kind of just excited that a movie can be made like this in 2022 and look like this and feel like this and be a story that feels like maybe a cross between Napoleon Dynamite and Superbad. It also kind of reminds me of the movie Jonah Hill directed mid-90s of being one to kind of subtly capture the energy of that decade. The only person I recognized from the trailer was Andy Milanakis, who I find hilarious on TikTok. And just from that trailer, it contains some very dry humor. I love the deadpan style of comedy that reminds me of, yeah, watching Napoleon Dynamite for the very first time where of maybe your first run through, you don't entirely get it. But the more and more you think about it, the funnier you find it. And I think maybe if this were a movie that came out back 10, 15, 20 years ago, it could be a movie up to that level. At least that's the impression it's giving to me now. But that movie is from A24, out in select theaters now, or you can rent it on Amazon for seven bucks. Not getting paid to say that anyway, it's just a movie that I know I'm going to sit down and watch pretty soon. And if that sounds appealing to you, we can watch and experience this movie together and then talk about it in the movie review. But again, that movie is called Funny Pages. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. And that's going to do it for another episode here on the podcast. Before I hop out, you know what I do every single week. My listener shout out of the week where I just show my appreciation to you for tweeting me at Mike Distro, sending me a DM, tagging me in your Instagram story, taking a picture of your car's dash as you listen to that week's episode, or send me an email, moviemikeD at gmail.com. But today, the shout out is taking me to Twitter in a tweet I got from Kira, who tweeted me and said, in my family, when we discuss a new movie, we always ask, what did Mike D say about it? So keep those movie reviews coming. You never steer us wrong. So I appreciate that, Kira, and that you and your family do that. I do try to lead you and steer you in the right direction. And I truly just share movies that I am passionate about and that I like and that I hope you will like too. All of my reviews are just straight from the heart and straight from how movies make me feel. And there are some movies that I know that I'm going to love and you probably won't. So I do try to give you that objective look of what kind of a movie fan you have to be to enjoy it. And when I do rate something so incredibly high, I know that sometimes it's not going to live up to those expectations. So it's this line I kind of battle every single review I do to give you my most honest opinion and also recommend things that won't waste your time. So just know you're always getting my honest, true opinions without any outside agenda. I don't have to say anything that I don't want to say. So again, appreciate that, Kira. Appreciate you for listening to this week's episode. And until next time, go out and watch good movies, and I'll talk to you later. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? 
a wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 